Our second reading this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis. We'll be reading in chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. Listen for God's word to you. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone that he had rested his head against and set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, though it was previously called Luz. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I have a joke, and you know I don't usually begin my messages with jokes. I don't have many, but you may have heard this one before. But there's a story about a preacher and a bus driver who both died and went to heaven. They're standing in line waiting for uh, St. Peter to process them through the pearly gates. And while they're waiting... They find out, you know, kind of, who are you, you know, you know, tell me about yourself and, you know, how did you die and things like that. And, um, uh, then, then, uh, the, the bus driver's name is called. St. Peter calls out, uh, Mr. Smith, come this way. I want to show you your heavenly abode. And so the bus driver says, that's me. And so he heads off with St. Peter and he, uh, he is taken to a mansion. Just the most amazing lifestyle of the rich and famous type mansion. It's, you know, multiple wings, um, courtyards, uh, helicopter pad, tennis courts, multiple pools. It's just the most amazing place you can imagine, right? It's just, it's just the most amazing place. And, and the, the preacher is still standing out there at the gates and he can see this and he's thinking, great, you know, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to see my house. And, and so, um, then uh, St. Peter eventually comes back after he walks uh, the bus driver through the house, and he comes back and says, uh, Reverend Jones, Reverend Jones. And, and the preacher says, that's me. And he says, okay, I want to show you your house. And so he takes him in, t- in through the pearly gates, and he takes him up to a single-room hut. And, and, and the, the preacher says, hey, now, now hold on just a minute. I am a preacher. Every week I preach the word of God. I, I help communicate the message of Jesus to the world. And all I get is this hut? I, you know, that's not right. I mean, I saw you gave that bus driver a, a great big mansion. What's up with that? And Peter says, no, you don't, you don't understand, Reverend. See, when you preached, people slept. 
But when he drove, they prayed. I love that joke. Um, you know, we all love to see pastors kind of taken down a notch or two, so that's always fun. But, but the other thing I like about that joke is it is it is it raises a question, or really it answers a question. It presupposes the answer to a question, which is that God would rather have us praying than sleeping. That it just assumes that you know, well, of course, God would rather have you pray than sleep, and that's the question we're going to be looking at today. We're in a series of messages called Uncluttered. We're looking at spiritual disciplines. And what disciplines are is the um, uh, the things you do now so you can do something else later. A discipline isn't something that has uh, an intrinsic value of its own, but it's something you need to do. If you're going to try to compete in a marathon, you can't simply enter, wait for the day of, and then go compete. You actually have to train. You have to start running so that you'll actually be able to participate in the marathon. If you're going to get to Carnegie Hall, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. Okay, so so there are things you have to do, and it's not that the practice itself is all that valuable, but it's something that enables us to do the things we want to do. So discipline is not punishment. It's not when you get sent to the principal's office. A discipline is something you engage in now so that you can have a, a, a greater end that you're aiming at later. And today we're going to talk about sleep and whether or not sleep is, in fact, a discipline. So... Um, it may not seem like it is, but Dallas Willard wrote a book. He actually wrote several books on spiritual disciplines. And he says this. He says, if we really intend to submit our bodies as living sacrifices to God, our first step, our first step, well might be to start getting enough sleep. And he's not alone. John Ortberg says, for some of you, perhaps the single most spiritual thing you could do right now is take a nap. And I know some of you practice that on Sundays and some of you don't. But if that's you, I won't feel, I won't feel bad because John Artberg says you probably should. Now it's not just, it's not just spiritual, you know, gurus and so forth. There, there's just a lot of worldly wisdom in the idea of getting a lot of sleep. Here's a quote I love. Um, Bill Clinton says this, in my long political career, most of the mistakes I made, I made when I was too tired. And the reason I like that quote is because, um, if you admire Bill Clinton, you can say, well, there is wisdom. Right? There's a guy who's been around the block. He, he, uh, famously, uh, Paul Begala talks about it and, um, uh, uh, Bill Richardson both talked about how he would burn the midnight oil and then be up at four o'clock for a run or something like that. And it drove his staff crazy because they couldn't get any sleep. But, um, but you could say, well, here's a guy who, you know, in, in older age, after he's kind of been there and done that, he's reflecting on where did his mistakes come from. He wasn't well enough rested. And if you don't like Bill Clinton, you can say, well, now I know how to avoid the kind of mistakes that turkey always made. So whichever side you come down on, whether you like him or don't, this is important. This is an important lesson for us. But I want to tell you about somebody you haven't heard about. This is a guy named Matthew Walker, um, and he's been. He wrote a book, and he's been on all the talk shows and so forth. So maybe you've seen him. But he he has a, he uh, appeared on a YouTube video I watched, uh, which is a talk at Google. And he is the director of the Sleep uh, Studies Institute, or whatever it's called, at University of California, Berkeley. And he uh, gives a very arresting talk about why we need to sleep. And so he says things, in, in that talk, he says things like this. He says, sleep is a non-negotiable biological necessity. He says, our catastrophic sleep loss epidemic 
is the greatest public health challenge we face in the 21st century in developed nations. And he wrote a book. He was promoting the book, actually, Why We Sleep. And he says that really that's, that's the wrong question. He says 20 years ago we didn't know why we sleep. He says now we do. And 20 years ago we might have asked what is it, what actual thing is it that your body needs that, that sleep provides? And he says we now know that's the wrong question. That actually, in fact, uh, everything is affected by sleep. That you can't find a system in your body that isn't affected by sleep. He says sleep is the single most effective thing you can do to reset your brain and your body health. And then he goes into great lengths explaining it. So he talks about learning and memory um, uh, retention. If you've ever tried to learn a physical skill, um, you, you practice, you know, you go to the gym or whatever, you're trying to learn something, you're, you're trying to uh, do some particular thing, you know, a, uh, play tennis or something like that, right? You're trying to learn a skill they measure you at the end of your, your workout, and then they measure you again the following day. If you've had a good night's sleep, you will perform 20% better than you did at the end of your workout. So just the fact that you've had a chance for your brain to rehearse that will actually make you better at what it was you left. Um, they did a study in Adena, Minnesota, where they changed the, the, the time that school began by about an hour and 15 minutes. So it had been beginning about 7.30. They moved it up to closer to 9 a.m. Okay, and when they did that, uh, grades improved, discipline problems uh, uh, were reduced. And then in the group of people, that, there was one group of people they studied that they, they liked this, um, they, they looked at the SAT scores of the top 10% of the students. And they picked the top 10% because they had the least to gain, right? They were already high achievers. And they had a 200-point average increase on their SATs from 1260, an average of 1260, to an average of 1460 on their SATs from simply moving the school start time by about an hour. A different... A different um, uh, school. Uh, it's, it's similar results were found at a different school... Uh, uh, district in Wyoming that did the same thing. But in Wyoming, they also found that they had a 70% reduction in traffic accidents because people were awake. So it's good for learning and memory um, retention. It's implicated in every known psychiatric disorder. Now, there's a chicken and egg thing. They don't know exactly which way that works. Is it because you have a psychiatric disorder, your sleep is disrupted, or because you have a sleep disorder, you are you are actually aggravating an underlying psychiatric uh, uh, disorder? They don't know why, but it's implicated in everyone. It's implicated in problems in the reproductive system. Um, if you get five to six hours of sleep, men, then your testosterone level is the same as a a man who's 10 years older than you. So um, so uh, it's involved in the reproductive system. It's involved in the cardiovascular system. And we know this because we conducted an experiment on the entire nation twice a year. In the spring, in the spring, we changed the time. We're, this is coming up in a few weeks, right? And we're going to have uh, a one-hour adjustment. We're going to lose an hour in the spring. And when that happens, there's a 24% increase in heart attacks. And in the fall, when we gain an hour, there's a 21% decrease in heart attacks. So think about that. Every time you lose an hour of sleep, you might be replicating that experiment in your own house. Right? Think about that. Okay, it's involved in the immune system. Uh, cancers grow twice as fast in rats who have had 
their sleep schedule uh, uh, disrupted. Um, it's implicated in Alzheimer's disease because one of the things that happens in the brain uh, when you're asleep is there's something called a glymphatic system. It's like the lymphatic system, but it's the glymphatic system. And it's like a sewage system for your brain, right? And one of the things that flushes out of your brain are beta amyloid proteins, which are found all through uh, um, uh, Alzheimer's uh, lesions. So uh, it's involved in everything you can imagine. It's even involved in gene expression. So there are 711 genes in the human genome that are known to be uh, affected by your sleeping. And when you get uh, enough, um, you know, based relative to when, when you get enough sleep, if you get less sleep than, than you should, then there's 711. About half of them um, are things that create stress, oxidative stress and things like that. And about half of them are things that promote well-being. And they all go in the wrong direction when you don't get enough sleep. So if you've ever looked at a, a jar of food or something that's set up at the top, you know, no GMO organisms, right? If you're not getting enough sleep, you are a GMO organism. So, so think about that. And so, so, uh, Matthew Walker goes through all this and, and it's, it's a, it's a compelling video. Um, you'll find out you're doing it all wrong. I found that I was doing it all wrong. Um, and, uh, so I encourage you to watch it. I'm going to post a link to it on the podcast when, when the podcast goes up. So, um, uh, it's, it's a very compelling, but today I want to talk about one more aspect of sleep, which is the spiritual dimension. So that's kind of what we're, we're talking about. And to do that, what I want to do is I want to look at the story of Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs of Israel. And so we're going to look at the story of Jacob that we heard in uh, Genesis 28. So Jacob uh, leaves Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. So why is Jacob doing that? Well, uh, we have to kind of work backwards. I'm not going to go too far, but in the previous chapter, we find out this, uh, or actually the beginning of this chapter, Isaac sends him on this journey. Isaac says to him, Isaac is his dad, and he says, your brother was here, um, uh, sorry, uh, Isaac sends him on this journey. So to find out why he sent him on the journey, we've got to go back to the previous chapter. There we go. All right. So Isaac says to Esau, he says, your brother was here and he tricked me. He took away your blessing. Esau was the older brother and he was supposed to get a special blessing from his father. And Jacob put on a, a disguise and came in and stole his brother's blessing from his father. And Esau is very unhappy about that. And he says, is he not rightly named Jacob? Jacob, the word Jacob means grasper. It's one who, one who grasps, right? You know, he's always trying to get a little bit more. So, so Jacob is one who grasps. And Esau says, isn't that an appropriate name for him? Isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times, right, right now when he stole my birthright, when he stole my blessing. But even before that, he took away my, my birthright. So he's taken my birthright. He's taken my blessing. What should I do about that? Well, Esau hated Jacob. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. And when the old man finally kicks the bucket, I will kill my brother Jacob. So Isaac sent Jacob away. Isaac sent Jacob away. The, the, uh, the ostensible reason is to go get himself a wife in the land of his ancestors. So he does that. And in fact, he gets himself two wives, two wives and two concubines and a whole soap opera worth of family dynamics that, that proceed from there. But he gets, he gets 12 children eventually, um, 12, 12 boys and they become the, the 12 patriarchs. Um, on his way back home, he gets a new name. God names him Israel. So Jacob becomes Israel, his children become the sons of Israel, and their families become the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So that's that's kind of going to come down the road, but we don't know that yet. At this point, all we know is that Jacob has left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. And at sundown, he arrived at a good place for a camp, um, and he he stopped there for the night. And um, Jacob found a stone to rest his head against, and he lay down to sleep. So Jacob finally shuts his eyes, and when he does, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from heaven up to earth. Now, some of you grew up hearing the little song about Jacob's Ladder, we're climbing Jacob's Ladder. I used to try to put my kids to sleep by singing that incessantly. Um, I was thinking maybe it's connected somehow with Jacob, maybe he'd sleep better. But um, but uh, the word actually is stair- stairway. We know it's stairway because it was used to describe these things. That that big uh, ramp on the front is called uh, is a stairway. Uh, this is a ziggurat. They're all through the Middle East, and that thing there is a stairway. Now, it could be that they called them ladders too, but we know for sure that they called those stairways stairways. So so he dreams of a stairway, and if you are a fan of Jacob's Ladder, the song, then you don't you don't necessarily win, but if you're a fan of Led Zeppelin, then you definitely do win. So he dreams of a stairway to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway, and at the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and God speaks to him. God says, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. So he says, I am the God that your grandfather told you about. I'm the same God, and I'm going to tell you something that you didn't know, which is that the ground that you're lying on belongs to you. He says, I promised your grandfather, Abraham, that I would give him a land, and you are lying on that land. He says, this is the fulfillment of the promise I gave you, the place you're lying on. And he says, I'm giving it to you and to your descendants. And speaking of your descendants, the other thing I promised your grandfather is uh, a whole nation of people uh, to come from him. So um, your descendants will be as numerous as the dusts of the earth. And, you know, we're not, we're not Jacob. This isn't a promise necessarily to us, but we get involved in it because he says this, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. So unless you're a space alien, this promise affects you too. So God tells Jacob, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And then he says something that maybe Jacob is thinking a little more relevant, given the fact he's got a brother who's breathing murderous threats back home. He says, what's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. You're stuck. You can't go back home because because your brother wants to kill you. And you're going off to a new land where you don't know anybody. I mean, they, they, they got a letter, you know, this is my son. They, they know your, your grandfather, but they don't know you. And you're counting on them to protect you in a strange land. And he says, but you don't have to count on them because you can count on me. God says, I will be with you and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. So, that's the promise. God renews the promise to to uh, Abraham. He renews it for Jacob and says, this promise now um, is lying on you. He says, I have confirmed everything I promised, and now I'm awarding it to you. And Jacob awakes from his sleep and says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. Now, I've put some questions in the in the program, so if you want to dig into this, you can ask yourself, what is this place? The text invites us to think it's the, the land of Luz, or as he's about to rename it, Bethel. But I wonder, where is the Lord? Maybe the Lord is in the dream. Maybe the place is the dream. So give that some thought. But what's interesting is then he sets up this memorial pillar. The, the text says that, that uh, Jacob erects a memorial pillar. And I think that's interesting because remember it also said he got up early. And maybe if he had slept in, 
then he wouldn't have to erect a memorial pillar because the memories would be there, right? He'd have the dream sleep and they'd be cemented and then the rim sleep and they'd get all organized properly. He wouldn't have to set up a pillar. He wouldn't have to write down these notes all over the place to keep his memory straight. But he sets up a memorial pillar. So maybe maybe the lesson there is don't be like uh, Jacob, sleep in. But I think there's a deeper lesson, which is this. Stop grasping. You know, Jacob has been a grasper. He has always tried to get a little bit more, steal a little bit from our brother, trick, trick dad, get a little bit more. Jacob is a grasper. And I think that's what a lot of us are, particularly in the area of sleep, right? You know, it's 10 o'clock and we're thinking, you know, I probably should be getting toward bed, you know. And then we think, you know, but let me check my mail and, you know, let me watch one more video or, you know, my favorite program comes on at 10 or, or I want to check the news. I want to see the opening monologue, right? We want to grasp just a little, little bit more. There's just a little bit more daylight or it's actually long since no longer daylight, but, but we want a little more. We want to grasp. But what Jacob got was when he quit grasping. And the only time that we ever know that Jacob quits grasping is when he's knocked out cold asleep. But when he quits grasping, God starts giving. So if you're grasping, if you're grasping for anything, but particularly if you're grasping for sleep, maybe the lesson for us is to quit grasping, to say, you know what? With God, to give me what God has promised, I can do the things I need to do in 16 hours. I don't need 20 I can, I can make do. I don't have to grasp for those extra couple of hours. I can make do with 16 hours or maybe 15 hours. So stop grasping. And lastly, let God come to you. You know, this seems like it's, it's a wrong thing to do. It's just like, you know, what if God doesn't? What if God doesn't come to me? What if I don't have a dream, right? Well, maybe you're grasping again. Let God decide that. One of the things I love about this is the picture of God standing above Jacob. I think it's easy for us to say, well, God has never appeared to me in a dream. I never got a dream that told me, you know, I'm going to go to some land and do all these things, right? Um, But that's not necessarily all God did. Those of us who are parents have probably all had the experience of going into our children's room and watching them sleep. Have you ever done that? Just watched your children sleep? It's such a precious thing. Maybe the way God comes to us is not to tell us any news. There, there's nothing particularly that God needs to tell us. Maybe God, all, all God wants to do is to watch us sleep. Rick Warren says, when you're sleeping, God gazes at you with love, for you were his idea. So let God come to you. Maybe he's going to give you a message in a dream. Maybe he's going to give you some, some grand purpose in the world, and you're going to go out and, and you know, 2,000, 3,000 years from now, people will be talking about you. But maybe he just wants to watch his child sleep. So give him an opportunity. So, sleep. Sleep is a spiritual discipline. It was practiced by all the patriarchs. It was practiced by Jesus. Sleep is a spiritual discipline. And trust me, you are not more spiritual than Jesus. You need sleep every bit as much as Jesus did. So, how do we go about this? How do we actually put our discipleship into practice? Well, um, very briefly, go to sleep.org. Um, they've got charts like this that tell you how much sleep you need. And basically, the answer is seven is a cutoff. And I know you're the special one who only needs five hours, right? Uh, um, Matthew Walker says that there is a, um, there's a particular gene that people who have this gene, they, need five, they, they only need about five hours of sleep. 
but it's the only known exception to the seven-hour rule. He says below that seven hours, you start to pick up measurable measurable de- degradation in in behavior and performance. So he says he says everybody needs seven. He says the odds that you're one of those people, the gene is so rare, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to have the five-hour sleep gene. So you don't have it. So get seven hours of sleep. Here's a this is zoomed in. It's easier to see. So if you're an old person, then you probably just need seven to eight. If you're younger, then you need seven to nine, and so forth. The seven is really kind of the cutoff. The 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 light band is is sometimes there may be circumstances where it won't kill you to get that. So so you need more sleep, almost certainly, depending on who you are and how much sleep you get. So. How do you do that? They've got lists of things like this, relaxing bedtime ritual, uh, dim your lights an hour before, turn off your electronics, stick to a schedule, cool your bedroom. This one was news to me. You cool your, you need to cool your, your, um, they, you know, you've heard about melatonin and things like that. It turns out they're saying that, that temperature is actually maybe even more important than, than light, um, for, uh, getting, getting you to sleep. That if your core temperature is cold, colder, then that will put you to sleep. If your core temperature is warm, then it won't be. So don't, you don't go to have a sauna right before you hit the bed, right? Instead, cool yourself down. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. One is by having a cool bedroom. Another way you can do it is by having a warm shower. So I thought that was really cool. You know, that's fun, right? So you take a warm shower. It pulls the heat out of your body, out to your extremities because your, your body thinks that it's going to be too warm. And so you fool your body. Uh, sleep in socks. It doesn't look cool. You know, you won't be on the cover of GQ, but, but wear socks to bed. If it keeps you, if it, again, you're fooling your body because your, your, your feet are warm. Your body thinks, gosh, it's hot in here. And so it cool, it dumps heat. So, um, so, uh, cool your bedroom and avoid sleep stealers. What are sleep stealers? Sleep stealers are caffeine after 1 p.m. and alcohol and other sedatives. Um, uh, if you've ever taken a sleeping aid, they don't really work. What they do is they make you unconscious. They knock out your cortex, uh, according to Matthew Walker and, and other sleep people. It basically, it knocks you out, but it's just like being sedated. It doesn't actually give you the, the type of sleep you need. He says, he says very flatly, no drugs or supplements we have can produce naturalistic sleep. So that's pretty unambiguous. So let God come to you. Stop grasping. Because God gives sleep to those he loves. This is from the psalmist. He says, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, too often we can be graspers. Maybe we haven't stolen anything from our brother, but uh, we try to steal a couple more hours, a couple more minutes. Um, we don't deeply trust that you will give us all the time we need to accomplish the things we have to do, Lord. So help us not to be graspers. Help us to give you an opportunity to come to us, maybe in a dream, and maybe just to watch us sleep. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.